Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. My name is Jim Dunn. You've already met the pastor this morning, Pastor Mike, and it's good to be back with you again. For those of you who have a short memory, I'm the peanut butter and jelly guy. For those of you who were here a few weeks ago, and it's good to be here on behalf of Wesleyan Investment Foundation. I'm working with 10 churches across the country this year. Trinity Wesleyan is one of them. And uh, I don't know if you haven't felt special today or not, but that's 10 out of 5,000 churches that could be eligible to work with the next level process. And the initiatives that you heard today and are going to hear more about this morning before we leave are crucial to this church. You've had a great heritage and a great history, and it started a long time ago. And Pastor took me past your former building and relocating here and naming the church biblically after a triune God is something that God wants to continue to use. And I'm here because things are right. I'm not here because things are wrong. So all the consultants that come into your companies and your businesses and your schools and tell you everything that's wrong, I'm here to tell you that plenty is right at Trinity Wesleyan. And God is right. And Jesus is right. And the Word is right. And the salvation of souls is always right. Amen? And we're here simply to celebrate with you and to also help you and your church to get on mission for Christ. And it's my honor to be with you today. If you ever want to talk about the foundation investments and church loans and all that stuff, we do that as well. And I'm happy to talk to you about it. But I'm here to preach the word of the Lord. It's going to be a while before I finish today because we're going to go through an entire chapter in the Bible. So I hope you brought your lunch with you. And you're ready to get after it for Christ this morning. We're in Acts chapter 2, and it's not Pentecost Sunday, it's Thanksgiving Sunday today. But regardless, I want to talk to you today out of the Word of God about the topic, the title, Becoming the Church that God Dreams of. Becoming the Church that God Dreams of. The whole chapter is there, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to try to rehearse through it this morning. And get into the fact that there's one verse that sometimes is overlooked, but it's really crucial for us to pick up on, and that is Acts 2, verse 36. It just simply says this, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, if I could contemporize it today, brothers and sisters, what shall we do? Lord, this is your word, and we are in your house, and we at this moment are your people. I pray that you will speak to us, that you will cut to our hearts today as well, and that we would leave, even though we've come in with all kinds of history and all kinds of tradition and perhaps even all kinds of relationship with you, perhaps not, but that we would leave changed because we've been in God's house. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. Amen. Pentecost is not a new kind of celebration for the people whom Luke is writing about in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost is an Old Testament feast that actually could be compared, it's a bit of a stretch for those of you who really like to study the Old Testament, but it's a bit of a stretch to say it could be compared to our modern day Thanksgiving. It was a time that was supposed to happen 50 days in Jerusalem after the Passover. And it was a time where all the people would have still been there 
50 days after the Passover to gather again in Solomon's colonnade there in Jerusalem and celebrate the blessings of God. It penta, meaning 50, and the cost, meaning a derivative that God has somehow come to help us. Now, I don't know who's coming over to your house on Thursday or this weekend. There are a few folks coming to my place this weekend. And I'm just glad to say to you that if it was Pentecost compared to American Thanksgiving this weekend, I'm glad that my relatives aren't staying for 50 days. How about you? (laughs) You might think that this is a harvest tie on this morning. I, I didn't realize that I was wearing the colors of Clemson. And there's some gray in here for you Citadel fans, you poor souls that try to have a football team. But anyway, on this particular weekend, it's very appropriate for us to talk about what happened at Pentecost. We call it the birthday of the church. The disciples, all the way through Acts chapter 1, were told to wait in Jerusalem after the ascension of Christ, which happened 40 days after his resurrection. So here they are in the same room, in the upper room, we call it, for 10 days. I have a question that I'm going to ask in heaven. Where was the presence of God between the ascension of Christ at 40 days after his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost 50 days after his resurrection? It's probably a simple answer. I'm going to wait to heaven, so don't spoil the answer for me if you've Googled it already and found out this morning. Where was God in those 10 days if Jesus is in heaven and the Holy Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. I understand the omniscience of God, so let's just get past that trivia question right away. But here they are waiting, and they're told to wait there, and this particular presence was going to come upon them, Jesus said, you wait there, and I'll send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And it came in a very particular way. It came as a rushing wind. And it also came, and scholars have debated this for centuries, if not the history of the world, it came by evidence that tongues of fire would dance on their heads. You can read it with me if you'd like. What in the world does that mean? The wind, I understand. The wind this morning, you guys think it's cold here. I'm from Indianapolis. We get wind about twice this much and about twice this cold. So I'm really glad to be here this morning without an overcoat on. But regardless, the wind could come rushing through that room. It was indescribable. It was inexplicable. And it was something that they knew the presence of God was on them. And then this tongues of fire thing dancing on their head has confused all kinds of people. You pass 20 churches on the way here that will interpret this passage differently this morning. But regardless, I'd love to point out to you a few things of what's going on, especially in these first 15 verses, and then we're going to go on from there. The very fact of the matter is that the Holy Spirit came, how he came, and how he evidenced himself in that upper room really isn't the point. The point is that God came, and the fact of the matter is, for us even today, he comes and that we can too believe in the supernatural. We can believe in the supernatural. I don't know about you, I'm tired of believing in the natural. I'm tired of having to have an explanation for everything. I I do strategic planning for churches all the time. I I was in Iowa last weekend. This weekend I get to be home. Next weekend I'll be in West Monroe, Louisiana. And I'll be working with great people just like you. But I'm really praying that God through his spirit will do the supernatural at Trinity Wesleyan Church and beyond. Are you? I don't like to have the answers for everything. I I pretty well know, and I'll prove it often, I don't have the answers for everything. Do you? 
Anybody have the answer for everything that happened this week in your life? Pastor Mike had a flat tire yesterday that I kind of helped him with. I really didn't get down on the ground like he did and, and help his wife's vehicle to, to get freed up from all that Clemson traffic. But, but regardless, I, I can't explain a flat tire. I hope I don't have one on the way to the airport today because I'm going to call all of you. So leave your cell phones out in the lobby so I have a ride to the airport. It's amazing to me to know that even in the church today, sometimes we think that we can explain everything. Sometimes we can, we can somehow rationalize everything. I'm praying, and some of this is going to scare some of you today. It's okay. It's all right to wake up your neighbor about right now. I'm praying for the supernatural, inexplicable presence of God to be evidenced through Trinity Wesleyan Church. How about you? It's high time that we take Pentecost back. We've let the Pentecostals steal Pentecost. Are you with me? My grandma might be waving her hanky right now, I can tell you that. I saw a guy one time in a tabernacle of a camp meeting run the backs of the pews. I don't recommend it at home. If he falls, he's going to die, crack his head and die. But I saw people running all over the place. Some of you grew up with some of that stuff. It was kind of a circus. But if God was in it, then God could take care of it and God could do it. But today, I've been reared in a church where we have to look prim and proper and polished to prove our divinity. I don't have any divinity except for Christ. I don't have any power except for the Holy Spirit. I don't have anything. Anything that will last forever is outside of Christ. It's not going to be something that God can use. I want to believe, don't you, in the supernatural. Now, a lot of people have said that this particular occurrence in the Bible this presence of the Holy Spirit that has come, and a lot of people get scared when you talk about it, but a lot of people have said that that's evidenced by this tongues thing. It says nothing in here about the gift of tongues being the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. It says nothing of that in Acts chapter 2. So let's do the original Facebook, and that means to put our face in the Bible. That's the original Facebook, put our face in the Bible, and find out what it's actually saying. It's saying that all of these people from the Mesopotamian basin have gathered there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes, and as Peter is preaching, he is able to say something, and they are able to understand something, and it's two different languages. It's not a heavenly language at all. It's not a prayer language at all. It's me speaking English, and you understood it in Spanish. It's, it's me speaking English, and, and you in this section understood it in German. It's me speaking to you in this section in the balcony, and I'm speaking in English, and you guys understood it in tiger paw language. It has nothing to do with something that needs some kind of foreign interpreter. It's actually something that God has intercepted the words of Peter in a miraculous way. You ought to talk to some of our missionaries once in a while who really haven't understood the proper language of some foreign country, and all of a sudden they are able to speak it over and over again, and God enables that through his power. This has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. This particular passage in the Bible is all about this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's it. Put your nose in there and study it with me. They understood in their own language. But the church leaders of the day, the, the keepers of the law, they 
We're sitting in the back. <clears throat> I'm not talking about any of you in the back today. But you know, you know the, the stance. The head is backwards. They're looking down their nose. Their arms are crossed. And the scowl is deep on their forehead. They came up with an explanation. Because some people get nervous when the supernatural happens. The, some people get nervous when somebody's life is radically transformed. Well, they must have gone to a good counselor. I love good counselors, but I'm ready for Christ to change somebody's life, aren't you? Well, they, they gave up habits that nobody could ever give up. They, they must have had some kind of therapy. I'm all for good therapy, especially Christ-centered therapy. But what if God delivers somebody from their sin? What if that happened all over this community? What if there were people who focused on Christ so much. And there will be some, though, that have an explanation. You know what their genius explanation was in Acts chapter 2? Are you ready? <clears throat> it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and you all are drunk. That's what their explanation was. Uh, that I know of, I've never been drunk. I wouldn't mind being accused of being drunk in the spirit. You say now, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's a little over the edge, is it not? No, that God would do something so miraculous, so spectacular, so supernatural that everybody else might have tried to explain it away. The only thing that was really happening here was the gift of the Holy Spirit. The early church, how about it today, Trinity Wesleyan, they believed in the supernatural. That's becoming the church that God dreams of. Do you believe that Jesus, through his spirit, can still do the supernatural? Can I get an amen from everyone? Amen. That did your neighbor good right there. Woke him up. The second thing that they did in this passage, perhaps in verses 16 through 20, is they dreamed. They dreamt great dreams. One of their dreams was just to ask the question, what if? What if Peter is preaching on Pentecost Sunday and 3,000 people are going to give their hearts to Christ at the end of this sermon? It's one of the best sermons ever. And he goes through the gospel. He goes through the representation of the cross and the resurrection. And they begin to dream because they know Peter warns them, and he should warn us today as well, there are spirits that will threaten us, our families, and our church. Anytime you start to take ground from, from the devil and give it to Christ, Anytime you try to change a community for Christ, you can bet that the dirty dude is not happy about that, and he's going to try to threaten. But that's why we mentioned Jesus' name, and Peter's going to pull that in in the next section of this sermon. But what spirits threaten you? And what if the counterattack to that was to pray that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on you? So I don't, I don't know if I've ever done that. I, I, don't, I didn't know you could do that. Peter's telling them that they could dream about the day where all of a sudden their young will see visions and their old men will dream dreams. And if we're the ideal church, we'll dream about God's work through us and in us always. And to ask the question, what if God's spirit poured himself out on us? What could happen instead of us doing everything in our own flesh? Do you ever wonder about God's direction in your life instead of wandering through life all on your own. I, I don't want to be in charge of my life. I, I'd have too much to explain. 
There's too much junk that I'd have to explain. There, there, there's too much pain that I've ha- I'd have to explain. There, there, there's too many misunderstandings that I'd, that I'd have to explain. I want to be in the grip of the one who somehow pulls all of that together and makes me a whole person like only Jesus can. I wonder instead of wander through life. They, they also did something else. They, they focused on Jesus. And I, and I know if you've been in church for a long time, you say, well, of course, that's what you're supposed to do. Do not yawn past this third point. It's crucial. They focused on Jesus, verses 21 through 36. Did you know you could call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Did you know that? Did you know the bumper sticker's right? Jesus saves. They got it from Acts chapter 2. Peter's telling them on Pentecost, Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It's a radical message for that day. It's still a radical message to this day. There are people, skeptics, people who want to rationalize everything, people who want an explanation for everything. How do you know Jesus saves? Because I've mentioned his name and he's saved me. I mention his name every weekend when I get on an airplane. I do. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, help this pilot to get this thing up and get it down where it's supposed to go. I really do. (laughs) People ask me all the time, hey, travel safe, have a safe trip. I tell them, pray for the pilot. I'm with him or her. I I really don't have a whole lot to do with this airplane. I'm just sitting at 30,000 feet in a chair. It's awesome. But here we are every day. You ever called on Jesus' name and he saved you? As a young pastor, only three months into ministry, I was held at gunpoint by one of my church members. I mentioned that in the sermon that I gave you a couple of months ago, and obviously I survived. I prayed in the midst of staring at a 38 that was loaded with six bullets. I prayed to myself, Lord Jesus, spare my life from this guy who'd like to end it for some reason. You ever called on Jesus' name and know that he saved you? He can. And he will. And it is impossible for anything to defeat Jesus. And that's why, that's why we call on this name, that we pray in this name. This one who is seated at the right hand of the Father for us as Lord and Messiah, the ruler and the creator of the universe, that we could call on his name. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. You know why? Because when you pray in Jesus' name, the book of James says, as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, Satan has to go. You say, you know what? This whole sermon's making me a little nervous. First of all, you're talking about tongues of fire dancing on somebody's head. And now you're talking about the fact that the devil has to go. Look, I want the devil to go every day. I want him out of my life completely. I want to saturate my life and my family and my church and you and all of us even in this sermon in Jesus' name. Because at the very mention of the name of Jesus, Satan has to get out of here. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. There are some places and some times that that people, for whatever reason, have changed the prayers of Christendom, and they've come up with some generic kind of ending to a name. It's almost like we're Milli Vanilli, and we have to somehow fill our words with what's called watermelon, if you understand what I mean. They, they just start mumbling at the end of a prayer. In your name we pray. What? In your name we pray. In your name we pray. What? In the world? Why don't you just be clear about it and understand where the authority of heaven comes from and pray your prayers in Jesus' name? 
I'm grateful that your pastor prays in Jesus' name. I hope that Jesus' name is mentioned in your household. You say, well, isn't that vain repetition? No, it's not vain repetition when you need to be saved. It's not vain repetition when you need the devil to get out of your life. The only thing that has power over all names and all powers is the name of Jesus. And they focused on Jesus' name. I was asked to pray one time at a, at a government kind of, uh, kind of event in Indiana. And uh, there was an aide of the governor who, the governor now, uh, the governor then is now the vice president of the United States. And uh, an aide of Governor Pence came to me and said, hey, the governor would like for you to pray at this event, but um, there's going to be all kinds of muckety-mucks there, and there's some clerics there, so, so we don't want you to pray in Jesus' name. I said, well, that's interesting. Is that from Governor Pence? Because I know him, and he wouldn't say that. No, it's not from him. I'm just trying to be politically correct. I said, I don't know what a politically correct prayer is. I'm not going to be stupid about it. I'm not going to mention the name of Jesus 27 times in a prayer. I'll be respectful of other religions and other people. I'm not going to be what I call a gospel jerk. But i got to tell you something. I can't pray any prayer other than a prayer in Jesus' name. And so I'm out. I can't. So he went to the governor and he went to a couple of state representatives and they said, well, what in the world did he say no for? And they told, this person told them. And the governor simply looked at him and said, get him to pray. Have him pray in Jesus' name. Why would you tell him not to do that? So you can be thankful for some people that are in pretty high up positions representing you today. And whether or not you like the person they work for or with, that's a whole other sermon. But you'll have to stay tuned for that. I'm not going to cover that today. But here this opportunity is, and I prayed, and I prayed in Jesus' name. This guy wanted me to pray in the sovereign God of the universe of the trees or something after he got done with me. I prayed very gently and very, very professionally, if you will, very, very uh, uh, sensitive to the fact that there are other people around, but I still prayed in Jesus' name. It's the only name. It's the only name to focus on. There's another thing that they did, and they were willing to be countercultural. They were willing, they, they knew they had to be countercultural, verses 37 through 41. Countercultural, not against the culture, but just opposite of the, count, the, the culture. That, that they knew that it was high time to stop talking about the world and start talking to it. High time to stop talking about the world and all of its issues and start talking to it. Well, if I talk to the world, then they might change me. Why don't you have the power of Jesus on your side and realize that you can talk to this culture and understand that Jesus can change them? This scared culture needs a sacred representative. The world is afraid. And in this particular passage, Peter is preaching some stuff that would have been juxtaposed to what anybody in this audience would have ever heard. He's saying, call on the name of Jesus. What, what, what do you mean? I thought we were supposed to just keep the law. He said, call on the name of the Jesus. I, I thought we were only supposed to go to our high priest and on, the, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that, that Yahweh's name would only be mentioned. 
The Old Testament law would have been flipped on its head, not superseded and somehow destroyed, but literally turned around that these people were living by the law. And Peter is offering this gospel that says you can live by grace. Don't abandon the law, but understand the grace of Christ. He said to them to repent and be baptized. What about memorizing the Torah? What about the rabbinical law that I could recite? No, repent and be baptized. You mean I don't have to keep a bunch of rules? Look, your life will be marked by the rules of Scripture, and that's what a true disciple of Christ does. But it's high time that you understand that grace is freely given, and there is no prejudice at the cross. There is no respecter of persons or titles or some kind of bank account at the cross that every person is eligible for the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done, that everybody stands equal at the foot of the cross. What a magnificent message that we can be countercultural, even sometimes in the church. And he not only said be, be, be repentant, that, that we should repent and be baptized, but he also said that we need to receive the Holy Spirit, that we can actually pray, Lord, pour your spirit out on me. Pour your spirit out on us. Pour your spirit out on this region of South Carolina. Pour your spirit out on the United States. Pour your spirit out on this continent. Pour your spirit out on your world, please. Do you pray that? That you would receive the Holy Spirit and that he would guide your life. Peter says, by doing this, you'll save yourself and your children does that mean just my house and nobody else? That's not what it's saying, that you'll save the children of the world, literally, if you'll pray this prayer. This, this corrupt generation would love to destroy you and your family and your church. All the more important to say, Holy Spirit, be poured out over my life, my family, my church. 500 years ago on October 31st, somebody was countercultural. He was in Wittenberg, Germany. Perhaps you talked about it here at church. October 31st, 1517, a guy named Martin Luther, a monk, had some grievances against the current church of his day. They were mostly about the fact that they were selling a religion through indulgences. So you could give some money and somehow somebody would pray your relative out of purgatory or out of hell itself. And that he said that was wrong. You're selling, a relationship, you're selling a religion and you should be promoting a relationship that's free and clear and full of grace. He had 95 theses and he nailed them to the door in the Wittenberg Chapel. He was excommunicated four years later. He was thrown in prison because of his stance against the church followers of his later because he was countercultural even to those in the church he because of his stance in the gospel of Jesus Christ Martin Luther himself he paved the way for you 500 years later to be worshiping in this Protestant church this morning do you understand the power of being countercultural I was on a flight recently from LaGuardia Airport in New York City to Syracuse, New York. It's a short flight. I was there working with a church, and um, I was on the aisle seat, or uh, yeah, on the aisle seat, and a guy that I learned his name was Kyle was seated next to me at the window seat. 
And pretty soon after we boarded and snapped our seatbelts on, he started talking and he said some stuff that you shouldn't say close to Sunday, if you know what I mean. Every comment he had had a blankety blank, 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 blank in it. And uh, I was just simply listening. Now, some of you may be completely offended by the fact that I didn't change seats and I didn't tell him to be quiet. I was just simply listening to him because I decided a long time ago I was going to talk to the culture. I wasn't going to talk about it. And so I engaged a conversation with him, and he told me that somebody clocked him in for IBM. He works in downtown New York, and somebody clocked him in. He's ghost employment today. He's going up to the Salmon River to fish all weekend, and ha, 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 I just pulled one over on my boss. Somebody clocked me in, and I'm not even there, but it's going to be a paid day of work. He talked to me about the fact that he was living with his girlfriend and he knew that was wrong, but he was having the time of his life and, and he was going to meet up with another girl in Syracuse that she doesn't know about in New York City and, and how great that lifestyle was. He talked to me about the fact that he had heroin in his backpack, which I kept trying to scoot over into underneath his seat so it wasn't underneath my seat. And that he was going to go up to Syracuse and get wasted this weekend and what a great life he lived. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. Then he looked at me and he said, by the way, what do you do for a living? <laughs> Come, my children. Come. You can't ask for a better introduction. Sometimes I tell people I sell fire insurance. This guy, I let him have it right away. I said, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To which he responded, oh, boo. He didn't beep for those of you who are really lost right now. I, I'm censoring it for you. This is what he said to me. I bet you hate people like me. Why would I hate you, Kyle? I know what you're like. What am I like? He said, my daddy's a pastor. My mommy prays for me every day. Do they hate you, Kyle? No. But people like you do. So that's, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? It's kind of judgmental. Well, don't you? I said, look, I don't really appreciate all your language, but I used to referee basketball long enough. I've heard a few things you shouldn't say close to Sunday. I, I'm with you. He said, well, I'm not putting in an honest day's wage. I said, oh, you know scripture, huh? He said, yeah, I know it's not right to fornicate. Yeah, that's true too. I know that I'm not supposed to be ruining my body with all these drugs. I kept trying to scoot his backpack underneath his seat instead of mine. I said, you're right, Kyle. Where'd you learn all that? I learned all that in Sunday school. Do you like your life? Not really. I'm just trying to convince myself that it's okay. By the end of that 30, 45-minute flight, he, he asked for my card. I gave it to him. He asked if he could email me. He hasn't ever. He asked me if I could pray with him. I did. I have no idea. I didn't have him kneel for a prayer of salvation in the aisle. I didn't baptize him in the laboratory. I have no idea where Kyle's at today. I got to tell you something. This world needs somebody 
that will listen long enough to be able to have a witness for Jesus Christ. It is okay to be counter-cultural, not against culture, but counter-opposite with a different direction, with a direction that will face the cross of Jesus Christ instead of facing the world that's lost and miserable and wasting their weekends away. Save yourself and all of God's children from this corrupt generation. They believed in the supernatural. They dreamt what if. They focused on Jesus. They were okay. They knew they must be countercultural. And then they were willing to be the church. Probably the most popular verse in Wesleyan circles anyway, because the first half of this chapter makes us nervous. But in Acts 2, 42 through 47, they were just the church. They gave themselves, Acts 2.42, to biblical teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What if Trinity Wesleyan Church gave ourselves to biblical teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer? What if that was foundational for us in our discipleship? What if they also did something that, that we could do here? They did it. We could do it as well. That they were united on eternal things and they were charitable on non-essential things. When I pastored a church, I had a man that hated the color of the carpet. Hated it. I personally don't know why yours isn't orange. I just, I'm confused. It's orange everywhere. I had had enough. I'd probably heard this argument about 10 times. I'm a nice guy to a certain point. I was still trying to be gracious I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'm going to pull an Apostle Paul on you and uh, we're just going to deal with the carpet. Good! I have a color that I'd like. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We are no longer going to have carpet if this divides us. What? We're going to worship on concrete. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to be cold in the winter. You can't do that. Look, I don't care what the color of the carpet is. I don't care that there's a scratch that a kid leaves on a wall. Go buy some paint. They sell it at Lowe's. It's right down the street. I don't care that you want to fix yourself on non-essential, non-eternal things. I want to be focused on something that's going to matter for eternity, don't you? Yeah, but there's only one color of carpet in the Bible. There is no carpet in the Bible. Sorry. If there is, don't tell me. It'll ruin my argument with that guy. They were united on eternal things. How about it, Trinity? That I would leave my personal preferences at home. That's what my home's for. And I would focus on eternal things that lives would be changed. And that is why this church exists, that we depopulate hell. And that we change everybody's zip code for eternity to heaven. If you'll do these things, if you'll believe in the supernatural church, if you'll dream what if, if you'll focus on Jesus, and if you're willing to be countercultural, I have one admonition for you this morning before I walk out of here. 
I have one thing I'd love to say to you this morning before we end this service in a time that you could commit to helping this church be all she can become for Jesus Christ. And we need everyone involved in that. Christianity is more than warm in a seat. You can get mad at me if you want. I preach that at my home church. I preached it in the church that I pastor. I preach it everywhere I go. If you're only taking in and only here because somehow, someway, this all entertains you, that is not true Christianity, my friend. This church needs you. And if you'll believe in the supernatural, if you believe that God can work through you, if you'll believe that God wants to change this county for Jesus Christ, if you believe that God wants to put Trinity Wesleyan on a new level of effectiveness for the gospel, if you'll believe all of that, and if you're willing to be the church, get ready, get ready. God wants to do the supernatural through you. Amen? Amen. As we prepare to close this morning, I mentioned earlier that I was going to give you the opportunity specifically to pray over individuals and also at the same time commit uh, to be involved specifically in being the church. Uh, those three initiatives that we talked about, we believe very clearly that God has called us to make disciples. That's what the scriptures teach very clearly. Uh, we're called to go out and reach this community, so we ought to be loving and reaching into the lives of those who are not yet a part of the body of Christ, and we must reach our children. Statistically, if an individual does not come to Christ, typically by the age of 11 or 12, uh, there is a, a, about an 80% chance they will come to Christ before that age. Beyond that, there's a very small chance we're going to reach them. So we need to be about doing the work that God's called us to do. I'm going to ask a couple individuals to come up. Uh, specifically, I'm going to ask uh, Jonathan Heron. Uh, where is he at? He's here somewhere. Uh, he's hiding in the back, of course. Um, and uh, Jonathan is going to be over one of these initiatives. Uh, specifically, we were going to do it where I was going to be over discipleship and Jonathan was going to be over evangelism, but we're going to swap those. He's going to be our discipleship guy. And uh, I'm going to be the individual who is representing uh, the evangelism initiative or outreach initiative. Lee and Amy are going to come forward as well, and they are going to represent us with the, um, the next generation, the youth and children's ministry. What I'm going to ask you to do is, first of all, commit right now to pray for each of the individuals you see up here. Uh, we believe that God's going to use these different initiatives to help reach people and to do the work God called us to do, but it's going to be easy to get distracted and to let up and to not follow through. Pray for these individuals. Second thing, come alongside them. Jonathan cannot do the evangelism stuff by himself. He can't do the outreach stuff by himself. He needs the body of Christ. Lee and Amy, they cannot do the next generation stuff without other people who come along. And I can't, actually, I'm supposed to do outreach. You're doing discipleship, sorry. We can't do it without you. We need you to be a part of that. Uh, after we pray, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to invite you guys to come and lay hands on these individuals. Uh, we're going to pray after the service. If you would, if you're interested, maybe one of these things is something you're passionate about. Tell us, we want you to be a part of the team so that you can help us to accomplish the things God's called us to do. So I'm going to ask you guys, if y'all would, can y'all come up here and kneel? And then if others would like to come and specifically lay hands on these individuals, I would like for us to pray together as the body of Christ. Father, as we come before you today, we know that your dream is bigger than our dream. We know that you desire to see 
not only this church transformed, but this community transformed, this world transformed. But we ask right now that you would use us as your instruments, your tools, to reach into the lives of those who are broken around us. We know that probably even within this church, there are broken people. Lord, I pray that you would allow this church to be a place of healing. Lord, I pray that you would allow this church to be a tool to go out and to reach those who are lost. And I pray for our young people. Lord, I pray that you would find uh, such incredible grace through the people here that they might even reach a point where they're coming and almost asking to receive your grace. Lord, I pray for your anointing to be on each individual who will lead these different ministries. I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us and through us, and I pray that as we uh, do your work, Lord, that it wouldn't be a one-man or a three- or four-person show, but rather this would be the entire body of Christ working together as one. Lord, I pray for your anointing on every aspect of what we're doing. I pray that you would help us to be the church that you created us to be. Thank you for each of these folks who are here today. May we be we be used in a way that goes beyond our natural ability. Help us to be supernatural. Fill us with your spirit and work mightily through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do thank each of you for being a part of our service today. Again, if you're interested in any of these initiatives, please come and let us know. We're dismissed. <laughs>